If you have your copy of Scripture, uh, find please the good news according to Matthew, and there's a copy of the uh, Scripture in the back of the pew in front of you if you don't have yours. We're going to read the parable that Jesus tells beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> While you're finding that, uh, I want to recognize uh, some of our servant leaders in the church, our new deacons, the office of deacon is held in uh, high esteem here, and uh, I want you to meet your new deacons. Some of them were in the early service, so I'll call all their names. If, you're, if I call your name, please stand. Andy Jones, Brady Buford, Diane Singer, Glenn Brown, John Corbell, John Fryson, John Gordon, Johnny Kirk, Way too many Johns in the deacons this year. Johnny Kirk, Mike Crouch, Scott Field, and Sherry Christie. These are uh, the ones that will begin serving. They will serve for three years. We appreciate very much uh, your servant leadership. Thank you all. Matthew 20, beginning at verse 1. Jesus is speaking. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered, which tells us they weren't just loitering. Uh, they were in line hoping to be hired as a day laborer. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his supervisor, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, am, am I, our, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous. Today's theme, we're walking through, of course, the good and beautiful God. Today's theme is God is generous. Generosity, generous implies more than is expected, more than is necessary, above and beyond. In our lives, our everyday lives, there are countless examples of God's generosity. God doesn't have to paint the leaves red and orange and yellow in the fall, but he does just as a gift, as an expression of his generosity. God doesn't have to make strawberries 
taste good, but he does. It's just an expression of his generosity. God didn't have to create clownfish and he didn't have to make birds dressed in tuxedos that waddle. He didn't have to make those. He just did it, I think, for fun. God didn't have to give us all that he's given us. There's some things that are just extra. Music, art. He gives, give those as, gives us those as an expression of his generous heart. We all seem to like that, that, that all of creation gets to enjoy God's generosity. The rub comes, the rub comes when God loves people that maybe we think are not deserving of his love. The rub comes when God loves people we think maybe aren't quite as deserving of his love as we are. Philip Yancey, my favorite book is the Philip Yancey book, What's So Amazing About Grace. He said that somebody wrote to him once about that book, What's So Amazing About Grace. In that letter, though, she either committed a, a typo or a Freudian slip because in the letter she congratulated him on his book titled, What's So Annoying About, uh, about Grace? Grace is kind of annoying to us when it is extended extended to people that we, we think maybe haven't, um, haven't deserved it. A few weeks ago, we talked about the prodigal son. And on this particular Sunday, I emphasized the, the character known as the older brother, the elder brother. Remember, he'd been a good guy. He had followed all the rules. He'd stayed back and helped his father on the farm. While his younger brother went off and sowed his wild oats and embarrassed his father and and then when that young prodigal buck came home, his daddy gave him a ring and a robe and threw a party for him, which you remember the older brother resented. He said, the Bible says he, the father killed, Jesus said in his parable, the father killed a fattened calf for the younger brother. The older brother literally said, you've never even killed a goat for me. He was so resentful of the party that he wouldn't go. One might say he was too petty for the party. He wouldn't go. He resented the grace extended to his wild younger brother. And maybe that's the whole point of the story. Maybe that shouldn't be called the story of the prodigal son. Perhaps it should be called the story of the older brother because Jesus focused a lot more of his ministry on, on the older brother types, the self-righteous people who felt pretty good about themselves. He spent, Jesus spent a lot more time talking to them than he did to the young buck types. And so maybe the point of the prodigal son story is for people like us, who if we're not careful, will resent God's grace toward, toward prodigals. And then there's today's parable. I read it, of course, and so let me just tell it quickly. Eight o'clock, excuse me, six o'clock in the morning, the landowner realizes he's got a big harvest. He goes down to the marketplace where people stand in line to be hired for day labor. He hired some folks and they all agreed on a denarius. A denarius was the accepted price, the accepted payment for a day's work. They all agreed. 
At nine o'clock, he went back. Now, Kristen Prasad stood here and preached about that parable a few weeks ago, did, did a splendid job. And she, she told us, it, maybe it wasn't that he underestimated his work. Maybe he was being generous. Maybe he, when he, you know, he hired these people at six and took them to the farm, maybe he was thinking about those other guys in line too. And he knew they needed work too. So maybe at nine, he went back and hired some more. He did that at noon. He did that at three, hired more workers. At five o'clock. Now the work day in Jesus's day ended at six. At five o'clock, one hour before the whistle would blow, he went and hired more workers. At six o'clock, whistle blew. End of the work day, people lined up, the workers lined up. And as you heard a moment ago, the, they paid the ones who'd worked an hour a full denarius and paid those who'd come at three and at 12 and at nine and at six. Everybody got one denarius. And those who'd been there all day in the hot sun were resentful. And we can understand that, right? They, resent, they were resentful, but the, the landowner asked the key question. It's the last sentence I read. Are you resentful of my generosity? Do you begrudge the fact that I have, I have blessed people that you think maybe don't deserve that blessing? And it's the key question for us, of course. This is not a parable of, about fair wages. This is not a parable about socialism or capitalism or any other economic-ism. It's the story about God's generosity and whether people like you and me, I mean, let's face it, we're the ones that, we're not perfect, but you know, we're church even on a rainy day. And, you know, we give our tithes and our offerings and we act pretty well and pretty good. And, and maybe, maybe this parable is for us. Do you resent, God asks, my generosity toward people that you think might not might not deserve it. There are lots of, of lessons from this parable, lots of truths. Of course, one is that fairness is really important to us. We, we like things fair. In the, in the story, those who'd worked all day wanted fairness. We talk about just desserts, and that doesn't mean mere sweets at the end of a meal. It means that people get what they earn, whether it's a reward or punishment. People get, we like fairness. And when things are unfair, it rubs us wrong. Kristen, to quote her again in one of her children's messages, talk about growing up, uh, sucking her thumb. Her brother and sister did too, and their mom said, you ought not suck your thumb. And she said, if you'll quit, I will reward you. And so Kristen, who's very disciplined, slept with her hand, she said, under her pillow so that she would quit sucking her thumb. And she did. And her mother rewarded her with a box of little books. Her sister also quit, got some reward. But her sister's quit didn't last long. She started sucking her thumb again. And her mom said, you ought not suck your thumb. If you'll quit sucking your thumb, I'll give you a reward. So she quit again and got another reward. And, and the cycle continued. She quit and then she'd start again and her mother would always reward it and it got under Kristen's skin and it gets under my skin. I kind of think, Why were you, what were you thinking? We feel her pain, don't we? Because fairness is really important to us. People ought to get what they deserve, reward or punishment. And fairness is all well and good until we're the ones 
in desperate need of generosity. Fairness is all well and good until it's me or mine that needs generosity. Do you remember upward basketball? Some of you all, I bet, you had that league here as a church league, a developmental league for kids. We, it was a national, it probably still is, it was, it's a national thing. We had that upward basketball in Richmond where I was a pastor. And, and, and so everybody's a volunteer, the coaches and the officials all volunteer. And they have this thing called the circle of affirmation where the players and the coaches and the officials all affirm one another. I've been trying to work that into high school football in the area. It's not catching on. It's not catching on. But I circle of affirmation. Well, a lot of the kids who play in upward basketball, they're playing for the first time. So they're learning the rules. Sometimes they come down the court and they double dribble, meaning, you know, they'll be dribbling, bouncing the ball. They grab it, look around and start dribbling again. Well, that's against the rules. They have broken the rules or they will travel, meaning they'll run without bouncing or dribbling the ball. That's traveling. That's against the rules. So if you're officiating, and I always volunteered on Saturdays to officiate, to be fair, you'd blow the whistle, probably embarrass them, take the ball from them, give it to the other team. That's fairness. That's fairness. Now, sentimentalism says you just ignore it altogether, but that's not good because they never learn the rules. Generosity said, at least the way we practiced it, you'd take the ball and you'd say, you're doing a great job. But now remember, if you catch the ball, you've got to pass it. You can't start dribbling again, okay? Or uh, now remember, if you're going to run, you have to be bouncing the ball. You can't run without, okay? I did that a lot of times. I did it one time and a little boy, member of our church, just started bawling in the middle of the, oh, felt so bad. But I was trying to exercise generosity. Remember, fairness says he broke the rule, blow the whistle, give the ball to the other team. Sentimentalism says just ignore it. Generosity says, hey, let's work on doing better. And you know, I learned something about Christian parents. Whether they want fairness or generosity depends on whose kid it is that traveled or double dribbled. Because if it's your child who traveled, then you want the official to be generous. If it's a kid on the other team, fairness. If they... Fairness is all well and good until it's, it's me or mine in desperate need of generosity. For example, Mr. and Mrs. A. Well, they don't think very highly of people who are in jails and prisons. They, they don't think very highly of the incarcerated. And they're not very patient when advocates talk about crowding in the prison system. They talk about violence in jails. They don't want to hear it. They say they, they get what they deserve. They're there because they broke the law. They think if they want chefs or fancy beds, I'd have to pay for that out of my taxes. And that's not fair. They're all about what's fair. And then, and then Mr. And Mrs. A's son gets in trouble with the law. And he is um, sentenced to two years in the state penitentiary. 
And now they're, they're embarrassed. They're ashamed of the way they've been thinking about the incarcerated. There's a little church, though, near that state penitentiary that has a ministry to the inmates. They go on Thursday nights and they do a worship service and they, they take them cookies and um, they take them on Thursdays, they take them personal hygiene products. And Mr. and Mrs. A are so grateful for that church because it is so generous. And then their own church, they weren't sure how their own church would respond, but their own church forms a group of people to write letters so that every week their, young, their son, that young man of the church, is now getting a letter from home every week because their own church, although they didn't know how they would respond, their own church responds generously. See, fairness is all well and good until it's me or mine that needs generosity. Mr. and Mrs. B., resented what they called the homosexual agenda. They resented the fact that people, they said, were trying to ram their values down their throats. Every time they saw two men or two women together on network television, they would call their congressman. They'd say, it's not fair what they're doing. And then, and then their daughter asked for a conversation one day and said to them, I'm gay. And Mr. and Mrs. B didn't know what to do. And they didn't know what their church would do. Their church had taken a position on sexuality that said marriage is between a man and a woman and physical intimacy is limited to that covenant relationship of a man and a woman. And because their church had taken that traditional position, Mr. and Mrs. B didn't know what, they would, what the church would do. But the church loved their daughter unconditionally. And when... And they, when her partner would come with her every once in a while to worship, that church loved that young lady. They were hospitable. They were welcoming and kind. They had both conviction and compassion. Mr. and Mrs. B were so grateful for a church that was generous. Mr. and Mrs. C didn't think it was fair that all of these teenage girls kept having babies without husbands. They said, you know, these, these teenage girls they, without husbands, they get married, uh, excuse me, they have a baby and they're not married and they get a check and then they have another baby and they get another check. They're all living off welfare and it's not fair that I as a taxpayer am having to pay for all those girls having babies. And then one night their daughter came home weeping she said, I'm pregnant, and she didn't have, a father, didn't have a husband. Mr. and Mrs. C., their first thought was, what will the church think? Well, the church threw a shower for that, uh, for that teenage girl. When that baby was born, they loved that baby. They, they fell over themselves to take care of that baby in the nursery. That baby grew up. To be a young lady among them, always loved. Mr. and Mrs. C. had been so much about what's fair until, until it was theirs that needed generosity. See, fairness is all well and good until it's you or me who's in trouble. It's you or me who has stumbled and fallen.
And then, then we all hope for generosity. God is generous to us. So let's be generous toward others. Maybe it would start by not being rude. You know, I see a lot of rudeness. Just rudeness. Maybe it would start with Christians being known as people who are not rude. We could be kind. And now there are two kinds of kindness. There's just plain kindness and then there's generous kindness. You know, just plain kindness is patient and, and polite to the waitress and gives her a big tip. That's just plain kindness. Especially if, you have, if she has overheard you saying that you're from First Baptist. Then you give her a big, you give her a big tip. Just plain kindness is slowing down long enough as you go into a building to hold the door for somebody who needs assistance. That's just plain kindness. But generous kindness is beyond that which is expected. Generous kindness is being kind, kind to people who don't share our values or our worldview. It's, it's going above and beyond, bending over backward to be kind to people who are different than we are. Generous kindness is is not returning insult for insult. Generous kindness is being kind to people who will not be kind in return. People who've said things about us and hurt us and are likely to say other things about us and likely to hurt us again. Generous kindness is being kind even, even to them. God has been generous to us. Surely we can be generous to everybody else. And if I can take a quick turn, please don't reject God's generosity. Don't reject His offer of grace. Grace is unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. It is transformative. It will put a song in your heart. Please don't reject. Please don't reject His offer of grace, His generous offer of grace. Once upon a time, a man from up north traveled to the south for the first time. He had breakfast at a traditional southern diner. He ordered, very specifically, bacon, eggs, toast, and coffee. That's what he would pay for. That would be fair. Bacon, eggs, toast, and coffee. And when the waitress brought his plate, it had bacon, eggs, toast, and coffee, and a white glob of stuff he never had seen before. And he asked the waitress, what's that? Well, that's grits, she said. Well, I didn't order grits, he said. Oh, hun, she said. You know, Southern waitresses, they say hun and sugar a lot. She said, oh, hun, here you don't have to order grits. They just come. <laughs> and that's grace. You don't order grace. It just comes. You can't earn it. You can't say, God, please give me grace. It just 
comes. That's his nature. His unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love just comes. And you can reject it or accept it. And those guys in the parable who got the denarius, they started working at five. You know, they could have said, no, we're, we're too embarrassed to take that. Or they could have been too stubborn or too proud. But they had people to feed back home too, just like those guys who'd worked since six that, six that morning. So I imagine with gratitude, they accepted the landowner's generous, gracious gift. Please don't be too proud. Please don't be too stubborn. And please, please don't be too embarrassed to accept God's gracious offer of His love. It is transformative. It will put a song in your heart. God so deeply, graciously, generously loved the world, He sent His only Son, so that you would not perish, but have life at its best, and that never will end in a real place called heaven. Please don't reject His grace. Of thee is the hymn.